Welcome to Natural Sin. This is Norman Byers, your host, and we have 8.24 p.m. on December 31st, 2020. The year is about to end, and I decided that I would go ahead and do what I promised I would do, and that is to start recording comments on the book of Romans. And so we're here right now, and uh, I have the book of Romans in front of me, so I'm just going to get right into it. Let's start with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we now have to go through uh, the first part uh, of the book of Romans, chapter 1. We ask that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit, give us understanding, help us to see things that we have not seen before, and that through this process, as we learn, that our hearts would be open to you, and that we would love you with all of our hearts, all of our minds, our soul, and our bodies. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, Paul, you can see here, he was definitely called. Everybody knows that. Everybody understands that. Uh, he was separated, it says here, unto the gospel of God, the good news of God. So his primary mission was to preach the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. The good news of Jesus Christ, that's what, that's what his primary goal was. He wasn't, and he even mentions it in, in scriptures, he wasn't sent to baptize, he wasn't sent to do some other things. He was sent to preach the gospel and to demonstrate the gospel, the effect that the gospel had in his heart and how that would change him and also how he would behave, speak, and interact with people, all that would be uh, influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Continue on, verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go back to look at all the promises, but they're there. We know they're there. Um, and the reason why is I want to try to keep this short. I don't want to go too long with it because uh, Anchor only allows me 30 minutes now to do a, a podcast. So I'm going to try to go through at least the first 17 verses of this. Verse 3, and this is concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. This is truly important. We need to understand that Jesus Christ came with the same human nature that we have the fallen human nature that Adam had after he had sinned. And so this was passed down to him. It's the same human nature that we have. The reason why that's important is because if he, Jesus, overcame and had um, perfect human nature that had not fallen, uh, he would not be able to be our Savior. He would not be able to understand what we've gone through. And in the end, if God were to you know, judge us and say, you have not kept my law, you have not accepted my son, therefore you're lost, we would have to say, well, God, you know, you really, uh, I know you're just and righteous, but how could you do that to me when you wouldn't know what it's like to be in a human body? And so God has not left that door open. He has closed that door, so we don't use that as an excuse and also because he loves us primarily, 
so that he could come in the flesh and experience what we experience, the temptations, the hardships, the pain, the suffering, everything that we go through, Jesus went through, and more because, as it says here in verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So he was the Son of God, which means that he could have called upon his power to help him, but he didn't. He used the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit and not his divine power. And this verse here, again, states that uh, he's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So the fact that he rose from the dead means several things. One, he never sinned. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Number two, he could show us how to live a life of holiness. And he could lead us to the resurrection from the dead. Another one, the same power that it was used by God the Father to resurrect Jesus from the dead is the same power that God uses to transform our characters, our hearts, our minds, so that we are not carnal in um, our decisions and our thoughts, but rather we receive the divine nature. And this is what it goes on to say actually in verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So we, we receive grace. What is grace, right? We understand that to be unmerited favor. It's something that we receive that we don't deserve. Grace starts when God begins to work on our hearts as sinners that's when we begin to experience it. It's always been here, but we begin to experience it when he calls us. He begins to woo us and call us to himself. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then uh, he moves upon our hearts to lead us to repentance. That is a power of grace. That is a miracle because we cannot repent of ourselves. We are far too selfish for that. We don't maybe realize how selfish we really are. And because most of the changes that have taken place in us have become gradual and something that we really haven't said, wow, I've never done that before, uh, then we don't recognize that the things that happen to us are actually God's doing. We think that I'm growing, I'm learning more, but everything, every good thing, every good gift the Bible tells us comes from the Father above. All right, so we receive that grace to repent, and then through faith, we are given the ability to believe, right? We, we, we don't have the, the capacity to believe. That's not within our human nature. God has to give us that capacity to believe, and it only can take place after we have repented. We've received the gift of repentance, we've exercised it, and now we have the capacity to believe. Think about it this way. If you don't think you're guilty, uh, why do you need a savior, right? That's just very simple. And so it is, it's a law. If we cannot repent, receive the gift of repentance and exercise it, we cannot believe unto righteousness. Verse six among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. 
So he's telling the Romans, essentially, that you are also called, not just me, you're called. Verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very interesting how Paul uses that greeting in just about all of his letters. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is how I've come to understand what he means when he says this. I just mentioned it a moment ago. Grace comes to us to lead us to repentance because we have sinned against God and we have understood through the gift of repentance that our sin has hurt God and therefore our repentance becomes a personal experience with God our Father. And then through that grace, we're able to believe. And as we believe, we receive pardon and power to overcome. And so it says, and we're going to go ahead for a moment here to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, where it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is how I see that every time that Paul is saying that, I see that and interpret that as he's saying, I wish upon you righteousness by faith. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now that is quite a statement. The people in Rome, the Christians in Rome, their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. So this tells me something. They understood the gospel. They had to. Otherwise, why would their faith be spoken of throughout the whole world? right? They are serious. They are given to the word of God. And they are exercising the faith that is given to them so that they can live their lives as a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ has come in this world according to the flesh as a descendant of David and has died for the sins of the world and has made a provision for everyone to be saved. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now this is very interesting. We're going to see this as we get into chapter 7. He says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. So what he's saying here is that I don't serve Jesus Christ with my flesh. And that's going to become evidently clear. I don't serve Jesus Christ with my flesh. I serve him with my spirit. So right off the bat, we understand one thing. Paul is not led by his flesh. He's not living a life that he's stumbling because the flesh is clamoring for attention and temptation is overcoming him. He's living by the Spirit. His Spirit, which we will find out that in chapter 8 also, is also um, confirmed by the Holy Spirit that he and we are the sons of God. Verse let me read through the last clause of uh, chapter, verse 9. That without ceasing, I make mention of you in my prayers, always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now, at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. 
Now, we know that Paul wanted to go as many places as he could in order to preach the gospel, but he had some hindrances, and he mentions it throughout the, um, the New Testament in several places, that there's things that come up. The Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to go certain places, or Satan blocked the way, and so there are a number of things that he had to um, have resolved in order for him to go. So now he's making this request, and who would be requesting that of, right? He's praying to God that if by any means at, at, at length now, you know, essentially that, that I might come to you, you know, by the will of God. Verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you might be established. So now, this is pretty awesome. He's saying, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to impart unto you some spiritual gift, and the reason is it so that you can be established. So this is telling me something. They were not established. Even though their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world, they needed to have something stronger that they needed in order to have them established. What does established mean? It means that they are grounded. It means that they are able to prove their faith without a shadow of a doubt. It means that they, all of the things that they believed are made evident that they are true by their life, by their lives, by their faithfulness. All right? And the spiritual gift that he would give them would be more of the teaching of righteousness by faith. Because that's what Paul taught. He taught righteousness by faith. There was many times when he had to go head-to-head with Jewish leaders that didn't want to accept the gospel, but were telling people that they needed to be circumcised and to follow the law of Moses in order to be justified and to be saved. But he told them, no, that is definitely not. That's a, a cursed gospel that Paul had nothing to do with and wouldn't stand for it. Verse 12 that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. So very interesting here. We see that he's saying we both have the same faith. However, Paul's understanding in the gospel was far beyond that of the Romans. Nevertheless, that did not prevent them from exercising their faith and doing the things that they needed to do with the power that came from being um, children of God and loving God. So he wanted to impart with them, impart to them, excuse me, something that would strengthen them and be comforted with them, together with them, because you understand that when you're in company with somebody that is of like mind, someone who loves the Lord, someone who doesn't want to make excuses for their sins and their failures, someone who has hope in the power of God that would transform them and doesn't want to take any sort of um, cheap faith to get them to the place where they feel like they're okay, but they're really not. I'm not expressing myself well enough for that, but I think you understand what I'm getting at. When you're in with like-minded people who love the Lord and want to serve the Lord with all their heart, it's so nice to be with them. Sometimes you're together with folks who just have different ideas, and uh, they, their, their religious life, their spiritual life is really not, it's not there. And, and, and at the same time that they don't have spiritual life and, and may even lack uh, a good amount of information, 
and maybe even ignorant uh, as to the power of God, they will, you know, criticize and, and tell you that what you believe isn't true. So uh, we, we need to be with people who are of like mind. Verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Very interesting. So he's saying the fact that I couldn't be with you was not a bad thing because this showed me that you didn't need me to be there in order to live a righteous spiritual life. And you bore some fruit. Your characters were changed. You were able to bring the gospel to other people. And you did that which was good. So much so that, as he said earlier, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Verse 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So he's not picking any special group. He's preaching the gospel everywhere. Verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Very interesting. Paul has no shame in the gospel. He knows what it has done for him. He realizes, as he said here, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So if you don't believe in the gospel, then you don't have salvation. If you believe in the gospel, then you have salvation because it's power that we need. We need to understand one thing. Being forgiven is only part of the gospel. Power to overcome unto salvation is what we need. And I know that for myself as a fact. You know, if, if I could live my life and um, not have any sin at all and had complete victory over my, my besetments and my sins, wow, you know, that would be wonderful. And that's where I'm working towards. You know, that's where I'm walking to with Christ. And this is, these are the changes that he's making in my life. But if I, have, if I was told that, you know, I, I, you're saved, but you're not going to change, I, you know, I don't know if I would, I would be interested in that. Honestly, I really don't. Because I want to live a life that is um, pleasing to me, fulfilling, and, and is confirming with me that, that what God says and what he does really is true and really does have an effect upon us. So, you know, believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ has to have that effect upon us so that it changes us and gets us so that when we are at the very end of this whole journey looking for Jesus to come, we will be saved, right? Then he mentions to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He talks about this in Romans 3 verse 1 saying, you know, what, what, essentially, what benefit does a Jew have or what, what privileges does it have? What good is it that to be a Jew first if everybody's all are sin, sinful and, and fallen short? Well, the reason why, and he mentions there, is because the Jew, has, the Jew has received the oracles of God. They understood the sanctuary services and they knew what all that was about 
they understood the sacrificial system. They knew that through the shedding of blood, that that was the only way that sin could be transferred. They knew that as the lamb was slain, well, let me back up. They knew that as a man came with a lamb, there were other offerings, but we're going to use a lamb just for now. And he placed his hands on the head of the lamb and confessed his sins. His sins would be transferred to the lamb. Then he would slit the throat of the lamb, and the priest would catch the blood in a container. So now the sin was transformed, transferred to the blood symbolically, and then the priest would carry it and bring it into the sanctuary or on the altar. And so this teaches them, this taught them the whole Old Testament that the only way that sins could be taken away was through the transference of sin. It was transferred by the blood. They understood this, and so when Christ came and they accepted him and believed in him, their religious experience, their spiritual life was solid. They knew and understood that it wasn't based upon how they felt. It wasn't based upon Jesus coming and saying, I forgive you and I love you and I'm going to give you eternal life. Those are beautiful statements that are true, but they had that to back, back up that, those statements so that they could stand firm. And this is why Paul was so uh, adamant to the Jews in, in, in the book of Galatians and said to them, you know, if any of you, Romans, uh, excuse me, Galatians 5, if you go ahead and get circumcised, you've fallen from grace. You know, Christ has become of no effect to you, whosoever of you are circumcised. And so, because they should have known better. They had no business going back to that old system. And in fact, you know, the same thing is said in uh, Hebrews, and I'm going to read that to you. And it's uh, Hebrews chapter 6, I believe, is the first place we find that. Um, yes, 6.6, 6, Hebrews 6.6, 6, it says, If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the, the Son of God afresh, and put him to open shame. Right? So, uh, before that, I should have read verse 4, so I'm going to go ahead and read that again, or read it. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. Right? So this was this is a process that if they went through, they would they would lose out. Seriously, because they knew they had they would have tasted of the goodness of God, the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. They had the whole Old Testament to teach them so that they could have a good solid uh, union with Christ and not to be drawn away. And the next place it's found is in Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, verse 26, where it says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. And here's how he explains. He that despised Moses' law 
died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore, more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Right? There it is clearly laid out that if the Jew who had all of this information and all of these experiences turned away and said, I'm not interested in Jesus Christ. I'm not interested in his blood. That's an, you know, essentially considering it blasphemous that he would go back to serving under the Old Testament or the Old Covenant um, sacrifices. That would be something that would be almost impossible to come back from because of the knowledge that they had. And we see this also um, played out in heaven, where Lucifer, um, after a certain point, uh, he could not, there was no way for him to repent. And even if he did, there was, it would do him no good because he knew so much about the Father and his love. He knew so much about the, the, the Son and his love. He knew so much about the law of God that there was nothing that could be done for him. And this is the same sort of thing here. Okay, let's go back to... We're going to finish up here on Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is a most beautiful gift that we as human beings could ever receive. Because it's not something that we get by doing anything. Uh, now, I want to clarify that, meaning we don't work to, <coughs> excuse me, we don't work towards receiving that gospel. However, there is something that we must do, and that is simply to respond when God gives us the gift of repentance and also puts it on our heart to believe and accept and believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior as our personal Savior, those are the things that we must do. So the righteousness of God, not re that's not really saying that God's righteousness is revealed in there. While that's part of it, it's more speaking about the fact that the righteousness that God gives is revealed from faith to faith. It's a growing experience. As we receive faith, we we, we grasp more and more, and, and then we have more and more faith. And then it says that the just shall live by faith. Those who are justified, those who have been made righteous, will live by faith. In, in other words, our works, the things that we do, will be from our faith to show our thankfulness, our appreciation, and our love for God not the other way around, as the Jews of his time were trying to tell the people he was teaching that they needed to do something first, and then they would receive the righteousness. Well, we're going to stop right there for now. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this. I hope you've learned a few things, and as you continue on, hopefully, uh, with me, I know you're going to be blessed. I know you're going to hear some things that are going to bless you abundantly. And my prayer is that I can deliver it in such a way that it will be a blessing to you and that I will have clarity and uh, be able to use the proper language. Sometimes I don't. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we've had to be together to look at the book of Romans, the first 17 verses. Thank you so much for the blessings that you've given to us in your word. Oh Lord, help us to appreciate it. Help us to be thankful. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.